Awesome. Even as we sing about the great I am, the perfect song for the passage for today, which is in Genesis chapter three. So hop over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three. It's very early on in your Bible. We have a special service today. I'm just going to kind of set the stage briefly here. And then uh, UVA student Josh Himanaka is going to come up and preach the rest of the world here. And so the first few chapters of Genesis are incredible. In Genesis chapter one, God, God creates on the first six days and on the seventh day he rests. And one of the incredible things about the first chapter is verse 27, which we've already talked about. And it reads, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God creates humans in his, what he says actually, in our own image. Now, what is that, what is that image? Does it mean we look like God? Does it mean that we, are our personality like God? Is our soul like God-ish? But what does it mean to actually be in God's image? Well, what does it say uh, when it says that why man was created? It says man was actually created to rule. And then in ver- chapter 2, in verse 7, it says, Then God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And as we study the book of Genesis, and as we study the entire, uh, well, we won't go on to past the book of Genesis, but the entire Torah, which is essentially the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all five called the Pentateuch or called the Torah, they're not the most popular books of the Bible to read. They're difficult. And anybody who's saying otherwise, I think, maybe isn't being completely honest. It is very difficult to read the Old Testament. Most people actually who begin to kind of seek uh, God will say, well, I'll just start in the beginning. I'll start in Genesis. And there's always a part of me that's like, go for it. But, you know, maybe like some New Testament as well. The, the Old Testament is beautiful. It's incredible. And as Jesus actually says after he uh, is raised from the dead by God, he, Jesus actually says all the Old Testament actually is really scriptures concerning me. He says that in Luke 24. And so some, someone said recently, and it made sense to me, is that when we read the Old Testament like we are now, it's actually kind of a labor of love. It's difficult, but we do it because we're looking for Jesus. We're looking for a deeper, truer uh, uh, um, truth. We're looking for a deeper meaning to bring in light of what we know about Christ. And so when we read this kind of passage about man being created in God's image, uh, and really whenever I say man, the Bible says man, it just means mankind, okay? Um, so male, female. I know we're sensitive to that. So male and female, um, but what does it mean to be created in God's own image? Well, both chapter two and chapter one basically say men and women were created to rule, to govern. And so what is chapter two, verse seven really saying when it says God picks up the dirt and he creates man? Now we think, well, how did God do that? Like, how did God actually, does he have hands? Did he actually get his hands in the dirt? And so instead of maybe ask, asking well, hold on, uh, what is it actually, how, how, how would something like that actually work? Maybe the real question is the, the meaning of it. And the meaning of it is that God created man with his own breath from his nostrils and then with also the dust from the earth, which means mankind, which means you and I are both heavenly, but we're also earthly. And so we have this, we're not God, but we're in his image. But God's actually commissioned you and I to do good on the earth, that we are his representatives. And there's meaning to that. 
So whenever anybody says, man, why, why wouldn't God just zap Charlottesville and make us all saved and make everything good and get rid of all evil in the world? Well, even Jesus does this a lot, right? But Genesis 1 is saying, hold on, instead of us asking, why, why doesn't God just do good? Maybe we should ask, why aren't we doing good? And Jesus constantly does this, doesn't he? With people. Why aren't you? How about you? And it's actually what we try to do with each other. I know that I know these other things are happening, but how about you? How about or how about your role here on earth as God's image bearer? And so the, the text has this incredible tension. It's got this great news of the earth being created and man being God's image bearer. And then what's gonna happen next? And so in in chapter two, verse 19, it says, Now God had formed Actually, let's back up. Verse uh, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly, certainly die. Skip down to verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. The word helper is uh, Hebrew azer, azer. Actually, the root is strength. No suitable helper. Helper is not a subordinate term, just so we're clear. Helper is a, a strength, a partner. Okay. No suitable strength, strong partner was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And so when Adam sees woman, he basically, uh, when he sees Eve, Adam, he basically breaks out into song. Essentially, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's pretty pumped. He's excited about, he's excited about this, this plan here. This Azer is a pretty legitimate prospect. So Adam is very excited. Now in chapter three, is the, what's called the fall. The title of our lesson today, Josh and I, is Don't Fall For It. Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. It's really rare in Hebrew narrative to explicitly uh, kind of characterize someone. Usually they just leave it really vague. So the fact that the serpent is crafty is probably says to us as a reader, we need to pay close, close attention to what that may mean. Now, it doesn't help that the word crafty is neither a negative nor a positive term. It can be used both ways. So we're still, as a reader, kind of like, okay, what's this serpent really up to? Maybe the serpent is not trying to be blatantly negative. Maybe the serpent wants to be a little bit in the middle, in the gray area. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from uh, the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed together some fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he, walk, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know, like two paragraphs ago, he was breaking into song about how awesome she was. But sin can quickly become divisive. The woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit and and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And God goes on to issue what are called some curses here. But I want to just talk a little bit about what's happening in this passage and the nature, the nature of falling down. And so I have one point. Josh has one point. My point is falling down. And here in the text, we have the image of God and the tension of what what are they going to do? Are they going to do good or are they going to do evil? God set them up for success. He's given them all they need. Up to this point, God has been the sole provider of good. He's been all they need. But we have, and what's here, we have this, the, the serpent, the snake. This text never says that it's Satan, but we have here an adversary, some kind of enemy. We don't really know, but we know that there's, there's an attack being levied against Adam and Eve here. Now, a couple things. What is Satan's, or I should say the serpent, says I even fall into the trap there. What is the ser- serpent's tactic? He does a couple things, right? He's, you probably don't know, but notice, but in the, in the text so far, whenever the author mentions um, the guy upstairs, he says the Lord God, which is Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. It's like the, it's his intimate, it's not just God, it's the Lord God. He is, it's the best characterization we can have. And for the first time in the Hebrew narrative here, the serpent goes, did God really say? So he actually changes the name. It's no longer the Lord God, it's just did God. The first thing a serpent does is he makes God seem like not the loving creator that he is, but some faraway deity. Your religion, what does your religion make you do? Right? He, he, he made it distant. Wow. The first thing he does. Then if you notice, what does Eve say? She adopts his language. Wow. She goes, yeah, God did say. So she's now even talking like him. And he does something kind of interesting too. If you remember, the actual challenge from God was do not eat from the tree, that one tree. And then what does the serpent do? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? That's messed up. You can't even touch or think about a tree. That is wrong. Right? And she's like, no, no, he didn't say that. He said, I just can't touch it. Now, even Eve is wrong. That's not what he said. He said, you can't eat from it. But even she's like, I can't touch it. So both the serpent and Eve are actually misquoting what God's original word was. And here in the really what Bonhoeffer calls the first conversation about God, the two characters do not understand what God actually originally said. They're misquoting. They're misinterpreting what, what, what God actually called them to do. Uh, and, he, and Satan does something really powerful. He goes, what did God say? And then he gets you to doubt the, the, the word of God, but he also, the serpent gets you to doubt the meaning. Yeah. What did he say? But he probably didn't mean that. That, that scripture says what? He, he probably doesn't mean it. In fact, not, not only does he not mean it, He probably is afraid. God's probably afraid that if you actually did this, it wouldn't go well for him. So we have a shrewd character, a crafty character, 
that the serpent is not just showing up and blatantly attacking, go murder and go commit adultery and go all this bad, bad, bad. No, he's crafty. He's shrewd. He knows how to, and he attacks Eve. And why does he attack Eve? There's two thoughts on why he attacks Eve. One is that she's the weaker, more vulnerable partner. The other is the exact opposite, that he knows that if he gets Eve, the stronger partner, he's getting at him, which I'm more inclined to agree with. He doesn't even have to say, I don't have to worry about Adam. I just got to get Eve. I just got to get the wife. So a lot of men start showing up to church just because their wife wants them to, right? It's a lot of stuff. Just because the wife wants it, husband's got to do it. So, So the serpent is crafty. Eve sees that the tree is good. Now, when was the last time we saw that phrase? She saw that the tree was good. That's the whole first chapter of God. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. So the sole provider of good and the person who establishes boundaries of good and evil has been God. Now Eve says, but hold on, I want to establish those boundaries. I see that that's good. My interpretation of good is different than than yours. And Eve saw that she actually, she wanted to be God. Adam's sin is really one of Laziness. Adam does nothing. He simply acquiesces. He goes along. He's mentally lazy. Any men out there mentally lazy? Yes, I think a few of us are. We just sin because we're not, we're just not, not there. Eve actually is, is coveting. She's desiring control, pride. She wants to be in control. Any women out there struggle with control? Maybe a few. Now, it's not, all, it's not obviously a generalization, but I think there's some truth there. Okay, maybe a little bit. And then we get to see the result of sin. Because Satan gets them to, he, he, he gets them, I did it again, Satan, the serpent gets them to doubt something. He gets them to doubt. He does it through misquotation, denial, and slander of God. He gets them to doubt their trust. Do you trust God? God's given you this command, but do you really trust it? And, and why do you trust it? And what if he doesn't have your best in heart? And he gets them to doubt, does God actually care? Does God actually love? And all of our hearts today are in, in jeopardy of this. All of our hearts today are in jeopardy of falling into the same struggle. Because the, the ridiculousness of what happens afterwards, the effects of sin are pretty, are pretty amazing. That they commit sin, they're aware of how uh, they, they wanted to be shrewd, like the serpent, they ended up being nude, right? And so they realize they're ashamed, they're guilty. And then Adam does something incredible. He hides from an omniscient God wow. behind a tree. <laughs> but what was once supposed to be this appealing, beautiful creation of God's now becomes something Adam hides behind. And as God's walking in the garden, God doesn't say, why are you hiding? What does he say? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? When Adam and Eve are lost and in sin, and they need need to be brought back, God is actually the first evangelizer. God is the first person to to commit some outreach here, to share his faith. But he doesn't do it as as an omnipotent, overbearing, I told you so, I shouldn't have given you any. No, he comes in not as an omniscient creator. He comes in as a friend, looking for a friend. Adam, we used to walk together here, Adam. Where'd you go? Where are you? Who told you that you were? 
And there's even in this awful travesty of a story, this tragedy of a story, there's a glimmer of hope. But Satan, as Josh comes up now, Satan wants to wrap his coil around our hearts in the same way with his same strategy. And we're going to try to figure out how we fall for it too. Josh Shimanaka. Good morning, church. I'm Josh Shimanaka, second year at UVA, studying chemistry and religious studies. Thanks so much for setting me up, Drew. Um, yeah, it's just amazing how God set everything up for us, how we had everything just perfectly situated. But then humanity gets to decide what we want to do. But first, a little Garden of Eve Eden joke just to get us in the mood here, you know? All right. So, Adam is lonely in the Garden of Eden and asks God for a companion. God says, I can create the most wonderful companion. But he warns it would cost Adam an arm and a leg. And Adam replies, hmm, that's pretty steep. What can I get for a rib? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And if if you didn't get it, hopefully you'll get it by the end of the sermon. But (laughs) But, yeah, just just looking at um, these scriptures, though, Eve and Adam, they're understanding of what God wanted for them was uh, warped by the serpent and just thinking how we, we can definitely fall for it too. Like for me personally, I can go through my life saying, did God really think that I need to love him above anybody else? Or did God really say that I shouldn't be talking to my ex? Or did God really say that I need to take care of all these inner sins like pride and security or fear? Just can I let them marinate and just like try and be the best person I can be? But um, yeah, and just looking at Genesis 3 through Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5, just how Satan does confuse uh, Adam and Eve's knowledge of what they're supposed to do. Just I can also find myself just like not knowing the scriptures or be like misinterpreting. Like just I need to ask myself, like whenever I am tempted, like, do I run to the scriptures and do I understand them even like um, just thinking like, um, yeah, and I can always think that I want to be Lord of my own life. Just like think about uh, first like 18, 19 years when I was like raised in a Christian household, I would try and, you know, just uh, make my own rules of what I wanted like Christianity to be and like kind of set up discipleship for myself. And just like I ended up like watching like tons of porn, going clubbing, just like being enslaved by fear, just trying to cover all that up by just, you know, me trying to do athletics or just like performance or just, yeah, anything besides like giving glory to God or just thinking about God. But, um, yeah, and just like, I, I would think that, you know, as if my worldly resume could, you know, get me into heaven, even my spiritual resume, just like, thank goodness that it's not about works, but just like that God just wants our hearts and wants us to choose him. But um, yeah, and um, oh yeah, and just looking at Adam and Eve's reaction to sin, you know, when God does say, where are you? Just like that reminds me when I was like three years old and my mom sees that the last cookie's been eaten out of the cookie jar and I have little cookie crumbs all over my face. And my mom's just like, Josh, did you eat the last cookie? And I'm just like, no. It's just like, just like that moment of just like wanting that confession, kind of like having us reflect on what I did because I think God's doing here. But it's just also just important to see how like I can do all the other ways they reacted to this sin especially blame shifting how um, Adam said 
that woman that you gave me, not even just blaming Adam, but blaming God. And just um, think about, you know, even growing up with two sisters, I know all about the blame game, how like my favorite food is definitely pancakes. So, like my sisters would always be like putting syrup, like by like spilling syrup around like my favorite spots in the house, trying like, I don't know, but um, just think, <laughs> thinking about how, you know, I can also like be shifting all this blame either to other people, or I can even put blame towards God for different things that he didn't even do. Like the one I love to do is like uh, blaming God for like my academics. Now that I'm a disciple being like, oh my goodness, like God, like why are, do I have to like sacrifice my grace? But just seeing how just like that's such like a shallow viewpoint, A, of just like realizing that's on me, but also seeing how much more I gain in Christ. But, um, and then, yeah, and just think about how Eve's sin of initiation and Adam's sin of, of just like going along with it, how like I can find myself in those places too. And think about how, uh, yeah, like I can either initiate like, um, like drinking or just like initiate just like lies and just like asking myself, like, where did this come from? And thinking like, did I even understand the scriptures? Do I have, am I in my scripture and having good conviction on like what different things God's actually saying for me to do? And then, um, yeah, and then, uh, but I think that as a whole church, like we can also do this sometimes, like warping our perception of what God wants for us. Like, did God really say that we need to attend meetings of the body or did God really say that we need to put our finances before him? For the parents, did God really say that we need to put Jesus between our spouse or our kids or for the yo pros, young professionals, did God really say that we need to serve each other daily, encourage each other daily? Or um, for the teens, did God really say that you need to be pure in what you're watching and listening to? Or for campus guys, did God say that we need to be pure in our relationships and just like seeking relationships just in the church? Or for girls, campus girls, did God really say we need to relinquish control over how things will go, what to wear, just about all details, but just surrender it to him and seek the kingdom first? And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, um, but the, and even just like thinking about the world and how just like we could never be like our own gods and how it's ridiculous how we can want to be sometimes, how the world will be telling us that we can make our own boundaries and our own rules, how we can just cut people out of our lives and make our own boundaries on our purity or on just like how we want to live. And just while on the idea of just um, the worldly perspective, just like especially with chapters like Genesis 2, 3, I can always ask people, people can always ask me like, dude, like could this like serpent even talk or like just all these doubts about like in the scripture. And I need to always ask myself, like as I go along, I'm building convictions. Like, do I believe what I'm reading? Just like when I was growing up, especially like I would believe things like, oh, yeah, like Jesus created the world. Like, OK, I believe that. But like God parting the Red Sea, like, do I actually like believe that if I think about it or just, um, yeah, just things like that. And actually, it was really cool. I got to go to um, Charlotte, North Carolina with some disciples here. And we went to this place called Folly Beach, which uh, was really great. I just got to like. Just, yeah, pray to God for just a long time. Just like the idea is like leave all my folly behind. It's like I was there standing in the waves and in the ocean. And I had to like wrestle with the fact like, wait, do I really believe God could have parted these waters? Do I really believe all these other miracles in the Bible? And just um, think about how like 
if God is so powerful that he can create the entire universe through his voice, like, why would I doubt that he can do things like allow a certain a serpent to speak or just like move waters? Just like, why can't God edit what he makes? So just like also as we're just knowing our scripture, just making sure that we really believe in our scripture will help us just like hold to him moving forward. But um, also, ah, yeah, but back to the world and how the world will tell us to live. Just like, it's ridiculous. Just uh, I remember just, I was in a, my intro to psychology class even, and a professor tried to tell me that the ideal optimal amount of time, amount, frequency of masturbating is like once a week for like optimal neuron activity and hormone activity. It's just disturbing how like the world can just like warp things and how just like thinking that like that's natural humanity sometimes. Just like to think what we would do if we did have like unlimited knowledge and just like unlimited life and just seeing that like God only wants us to let him be in control because he knows that we'd fail on our own. But um Oh yeah, but um so that brings me to my next point though, which is called falling back in love. So uh, and looking at God, first bringing the scripture paralleling it to Matthew uh Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, looking at, they say, this, Jesus is the second Adam, and how Jesus goes through a very similar experience uh, in temptation as Adam and Eve do. Go back to? My first time looking at these slides. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> but yeah, just thinking that... Um, looking at just paralleling Jesus and Adam's experience, how even the words that Satan uses to talk to, to Jesus is very similar, how he keeps repeating, like, if you really are the son of God, just kind of like, just getting in his head, like, are you even like the son of God? It's like the serpent was saying, like, did God really say these things? And how um, the serpent even said, like, you know, like, you can be your own God. You can be God-like if you eat this fruit. And how um, in verse 8, the devil takes Jesus to a high mountain and says, there are all these kingdoms in the world and all their splendor, and I will give it to you if you bow down to me. Just like, it's the same sort of temptation. That it's always the same temptation. But what's amazing and different is how Jesus responds to it. It's just like, full of scripture. He keeps saying, like, quoting, like, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And he even says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, uh, worship the Lord your God. And like just looking at this, I always need to ask myself, like when I am, when temptation does hit, do I like run to scriptures like this? And do I just like call for Satan to just get away from me? Or do I kind of just like allow him to just like kind of entertain the idea of him being there, just kind of be idle about it? And just like, and let that catalyst into just like, me being in sin that I couldn't have imagined. But, um, but also just looking at the scenario here, how, um, yeah, if you compare just like Adam was in a place with abundance in life while Jesus was in a barren desert. Adam had all this food. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and Adam had a wife where Jesus was alone and Adam was with um, tamed beasts while Jesus was with wild, dangerous beasts. And just how, it's amazing how like Jesus just, doesn't just ask us to be there and just like deny ourselves for him, but that Jesus goes to this temptation too, and even rougher than he did, but he just 
is able to set that example for us that um, when temptation hits, like that we can just run after Christ. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's just amazing how Jesus doesn't forsake us when we fail, even though we have it so easy. And um, just, uh, right. So going back to the Genesis situation, though, looking back at, Ah, now one more. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, no, he was right. Stay there. <laughs> okay. All right, but yeah. But then looking at not just that love that Jesus has to meet us in our misery and our temptation, but also just like turning it back to Genesis, looking at how God like reacted to the sin that Adam and Eve ended up in. How um, just there's just so much abundant love and grace in the broken situation in Genesis 2 and 3. Just um, first of all, thinking about how alone um, Adam is and how um, Adam is just how Jesus gives him that Ezra, that helper, that just so strengthening to him. And then, but to the extent that and just the length that God went to try and find that helper for him, brought all the animals and that he had made and brought them all to Adam and then put Adam in his sleep and then made Eve out of a rib, just like how persistent God was in trying to support us with our need. But then also just um, thinking about the love God had with Eve and just asking yourself, like, why did God put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden if he knew that we were going to eat from it? And just thinking about how Jesus loves us so much he was willing to give us that choice, just how if everything in the Garden was just completely perfect and there's nothing but happiness and we didn't have an option to sin like that wouldn't be love that would just be robotic like control so it's just amazing how jesus does allow us to have the opportunity to be able to choose right from wrong but how forgiving he even is when we do choose wrong how um yeah after we fall like god doesn't smite us but he's merciful and loving and like he gives the consequences to each of us but he still allows us to be used and allows us for cultivation. Like it says in verse 20, how um, in Genesis 3, verse 20, how, you know, Eve is still the mother of all living things. Like God still uses us. He doesn't say like, ah, Eve, like messed up. You can't say evil without Eve. So just like scrap the whole thing. <laughs> but no, God is just forgiving. Even how before God sends us out of the Garden of Eden, he just like, in verse 21, it says that God clothes Adam and Eve and protects them with animal skins and just before they go out in the cold, just evidence of God's just grace and love, even though we need to be disciplined, how God is always there. And then in verse 24, how it says that um, God then guarded the tree of life for our own good, how just how loving and protecting it is that he just knows that we'll mess up on our own and just that although he does want us to give us a choice and sets us up with all opportunities, just how... He just knows and wants us to be able to seek after him with all our heart and just that. But, uh, and just, yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, why are we still not completely surrendering to Jesus, knowing that, like, we'll mess up on our own? Just, like, what are different things that we still want to cling to? Just, like, for me, there's definitely always that, like, one thing that I'm always just trying to cling to or just I can just often find myself not finding enough, like, security or love in Jesus. And so that'll bring me to other areas. But then... Um, and then just thinking about how sin started in the Garden of Eden, but then how Jesus 
loves us enough to die for us and end sin in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And just um, think about how it just kind of like completes the story about how like, you know, we're, we're always going to be flawed, but how Jesus accepts us and was humble enough to just like humble himself and just die for us regardless of the fact that we don't deserve it, regardless of the fact that we'll never be able to pay him back. But and I was thinking about going to Matthew 27 or 28, but then I just thought, you know, like, I, instead, like, there was another scripture that I just really felt myself being called to. So I just decided, like, is it cool if I just, like, preach what's on my heart? So, all right. All right. Cool. So we're going to go to Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. And it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I'm just thinking about how this scripture can be applicable to so much more than just money. Thinking about how just for me in my life, just there are so many things that I would just like want to hold on to and not see, be content with. And just, um, I also realized recently that a big reason why I haven't been as like complete inside is just thinking how the last year, so all of my closest relationships have changed. Just like with my parents' divorce, like my relationship with my parents and my siblings completely changed with me becoming a disciple, how my relationship with my best friend for like eight years changed just like my relationship with my ex-girlfriend, just like very much changed. And just um, thinking about how I've always, how I've just been having this longing to just have something like a constant relationship in my life. And just thinking how I thought that I was even obsessed with my ex, although like I do care for her. I realize now that I'm obsessed with the idea of just wanting a perfect lasting relationship that's stable and just that, or just something that'll hold, that I can just hold on to. And just, um, so yeah, this scripture really just convicted me, just thinking about how like I can chase so many things, but just how it says that Jesus will, is the only one, just think how Jesus will never leave us or never forsake us, and how like there's nothing else in this world that we can say would never leave us or never forsake us. Even like someone that we would be with will like eventually die how just like anything in life can like end up forsaking you or leaving you but Jesus is the one thing and not only is he there but just like um, back in the garden of Eden how um, Adam needed his helper Jesus says that the Lord here is my helper and here it's the Greek word um, well I can't find so I'm gonna try and do it off of memory Boethos. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, Boethos, which is the idea of just like how Jesus is our savior and just like how he saves us in times of just discomfort and when we're lonely and broken. So just thinking about how just um, with me, I think that I would have a hard time just like going to other things by thinking that I would need to, like I was surrendered to the fact that, okay, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to, be, you know, I'm going to be living my life for Jesus and I won't be as happy, but it'll be okay because it's for Jesus. But now just like looking at scriptures like this, I can see that I'm 
with my repentance that I'm going to be surrendering to Jesus, but how I don't even mind losing like the other things because Jesus is everything. and He's what we will have for just eternity and how powerful that is. And, um, yeah, and how... And just um, also connecting it to the cross now, also in Hebrews 13, then in verse um, 12, it says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And just how throughout all of humanity, like we've always fallen short of the glory of God. I will always fall short. But how Jesus saw this and just he loved us enough to just even go to the cross, face one of the most inhumane deaths in history and be separated from God who he'd always been with just because even though we just continually choose against him, just like God still wants us to just surrender to him, just like let go all the other things we're clinging on to just to be with him. Um, Say a little thing that, just like a little quote, just like I think it's real catchy that I just try and think of whenever I'm being like, want to cling on to something else i just say just let go and let god just let go and let god and just how i can turn to all these things and put my security in all these ungodly things and just and then just i need to ask myself like why do i choose sin despite all the chances that god has given me and just how i can just like be so numb to his sacrifice and just seeing how powerful and strong it is. And just I'm asking like, what if like we all did this together as a church? What if we all saw that God was everything and it did not matter just like that we just don't surrender things to God thinking that I'm surrendered that Jesus is Lord, but just thinking that like we will have everything in Jesus and knowing just that who, who is never gonna leave us and is perfect and that I'm overjoyed to surrender all to him. And I'm just thinking, like, what the church would look like if we all could seek that repentance in ourselves. Just, like, how many baptisms we would have, especially, like, in the teens. Just, like, our vulnerability and unity. Just, like, and just how are we growing our godly security, our happiness overall, knowing that we've broken free of all these other chains of just, like, insecurity or just prior just, like, things that have always been holding us back. But and just um, also thinking that if you haven't, you know, had maybe you don't really know where you're at your with your relationship with Jesus. Maybe, you know, you haven't prayed in a long time. Maybe you feel like you are good in your relationship with Jesus. But um, also, if you haven't, you know, made Jesus Lord of your life yet, repented and baptized, just know that Jesus just unconditionally loves you and just is earnestly waiting for your decision to trust Him and make you, Him Lord over yourself and over anything else, over other people, and just receive his grace spirit and how just it comes so cheap and it's so easy and just how, yeah, and it's just, um, so just if I, there is any takeaway that I want you guys to get from this, I would say to remember that we'll, we'll never be able to do it on our own and Jesus doesn't want us to do it on our own. He loves us enough that he will always give us the choice, but he always loves us that he will always be there whenever, no matter how many times we mess up, it doesn't matter where we're at in our walk with Jesus, but all that matters is that he's always there for us and that if we seek him out, that's all he wants. Not our works, not our, our performance, but just our heart. And 
Yeah, that's all I have for you. But all glory to God. <laughs>